Welcome back to episode number 78 of the MP Dude. This is Jeff the MP Dude giving nurse practitioners a voice. That's all of our voices, so keep those comments and questions coming. I've got uh, a couple things that are kind of, it's a real hodgepodge show today. I've got a lot of little things that I'm going to talk about, kind of a shotgun effect of some things that are out there that I've seen, some emails and some some uh, PMs, some uh, things I've seen just in the news, and stuff like that that's coming up. And um, and uh, we'll, we'll kind of hit a couple of them, and then I'm going to set the stage for something I'm going to probably hit in the next couple days, um, which is a bigger deal. It's going to be a little bit more research to do, so I'll talk about that just briefly, and I want to get some input from you guys. So email me, jeff at the npdude.com. You can always catch me on Facebook and get me through uh, personal PM as well. It's Jeff Powers or at the npdude to tag me, and you can always just search the npdude and find it. You can catch me on Twitter as well. Though I don't tweet much, my shows do show up there. I've got a couple followers there. I don't know how many people are really doing it. So if you want to get me that way, you can. So there's no excuse. You guys can always find a way to get in touch with me. And I usually almost always get back to somebody within an hour. Now, if you email me, sometimes you get buried and it, gets, it takes a while to get back to that. But if you PM me through Facebook, it's usually within an hour. I'm usually like, hey, here it is. Here's your answer. Or I say, stay tuned. Or... Here's the simple answer, and you'll follow up like I did with this one. So I got a, a person that, that uh, sent me a message through my Facebook page that I've talked to in the past, and um, they were kind of filling me in on some of the things that have happened. And, and um, the, the hypothetical situation was kind of like one we've done before, but it hasn't. It was a little bit different, so I figured it was worth talking about. And here I'll set the stage. I'm going to do a hypothetical. I'm not using names. I'm not going to use exact circumstances because I didn't get approval to do so. This person works in a practice that is um, on a state line. So they're licensed in state A. They see patients that come from state A and state B, and there's no issue with that. There's no problem doing that whatsoever. You're allowed to see patients. It's where you see the patients is where your license is. Whether somebody comes from out of state to see you is just an access issue, and that's it is what it is. Now, here's the problem. The Medicaid for state B, which is not where this person lives and works, hasn't credentialed them, but they've been seeing patients for a number of time. Somebody's cut me off. Come on, dude. Seriously? All right. Um... And so you'll have you'll have uh, people that come to you that were on Medicaid, you know, State B Medicaid, but the the credentialing fell through or wasn't done or whatever the purpose is, it didn't matter. And you saw patients and assumed that you were billing through that Medicaid for State B, and then all of a sudden you find out it, I, I wasn't. So you know, is there an imp implication of liability for you? And there really is not. There's no liability for you. All it means is you're just not necessarily going to get paid for that. Now, if the credentialing paper was paperwork was started and maybe it was an error on the part of the Medicaid, they may look back a certain period of time and you can... Um, and you can recoup some of the cost of the time that you spent with those patients. But for the most part, you're gonna, it's a lost money. And that's not your fault, so it doesn't matter. It doesn't have anything to do with your license whatsoever if that, if that occurs to you. It's really a question of whether you're going to get reimbursement for your practice or not. Now, one layer thick, more thick into it. Now they're doing a signature from the physician as a co-signer to get those insurances covered. 
And the question then becomes, is there a liability with doing that? And it really depends. It depends on what the agreement is with State B's Medicaid plan because some insurances, health insurance um, providers and payers, right, they're the payers, will will actually have a co-signature clause that allows that to happen. Some of them do not. So it really depends. And I only know about this because I talked to my credentialing person about this because I was curious. One of the plans in Ohio is like that, where as long as the collaborative physician or your overseeing quote-unquote physician, which I hate that thought, especially in non-collaborative states, but if they co-sign your note, then you can get 100% of the billings until you're credentialed but you have to be in the process of being credentialed at least the one that I'm 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 trying to get credentialed the one straggler that's out there they'll let my collaborative sign so long as I'm in the process of getting credentialed now if I wasn't then it would just be incident 2 billing and that's where the sticky part comes in are they billing you incident 2 or are they really treating it as a co-signature per the agreement now, if they say it's incident two, and, and it's as though the physician was the one seeing the patient, and you're truly seeing them only, and they're not doing anything with patient care, then that's, that is fraud. That's not allowed. You have, to, you have to, if you're doing incident two billing, which is usually Medicare and Medicaid, and only those, private insurances are different rules, but if you're doing Medicare and Medicaid, that could be, you can get in some trouble for that. So you have to be careful as to what the plan says. So I wouldn't be, you know, raising the red flag too much about anything. I wouldn't be calling, you know, the, the tip line to turn them into Medicare and Medicaid. But I would probably ask my credentialing person, hey, I'm just curious, what uh, what's the agreement deal with this insurance plan, uh, insurance contract that says, you know, is it is it a true co-signature that's, that's permissible? Or is it, you know, are you billing me incident two? And if they say incident two, I'd, I'd say, well, wait a second, that's not right. Now we'd go to the practice director and say, okay, we need to figure this out just so that you're protected. But from what was described to me in the, in the hypothetical, it sounded like it was a true co-signature, which I think is okay. I don't see any problem with that. But it really depends on the contract. Now, do you have any liability as far as losing your license with that? Probably not. The worst thing that could happen is your contract wouldn't get accepted and you would just never get paid for it and they may audit the practice the contract you know like medicaid might come in and say you know i'm I'm with state b's medicaid program and we think there's something fraudulent going on here we're going to audit you and they're going to waste a bunch of administrative time trying to pour through books and come up with answers for things that may may or may not you know need to be answered and in the end of the day, the worst thing that's going to happen is they'll, they'll you know, say, no, we're not going to reimburse you for a certain number of your your insurance claims that you filed for payment, and they may even lose the contract altogether. Which, you know, if it's Medicaid, you know, it depends on how much of your population. That might be a significant number. It might not be a big deal at all. So it really depends on what the ramifications. But as an employee or a contract employee, I think it's pretty low risk to you individually. So I don't think that there's any problem there. But I, I like to know. I'm, I'm nosy. I ask them all the time. Well, you know, what's which contract is that? What's that for? And um, I'm not a thorn in their side, but I do ask them. They know I'm gonna. <laughs> so they just give it to me and tell me what I want because they know I'm gonna bug them. Not too bad. I'm, I'm pretty easy on them. I'm, I'm easy going. I'm not a jerk at work. I try to try to be lax and relaxed about things. But if it was a big deal to me, I'd be like, yeah, let me check into this. Might might be worth looking into.
All right, so that was an interesting one. Now, um, but it's different because I know in the past I've talked about insurances across state lines, you know, as far as malpractice insurances with multiple licenses. And if you worked in one practice in one side of the state line and work in another practice on another state line, you know, on the other side, that's a different issue. This is more a question of the Medicaid not reimbursing and then the co-signature happening. So it's a different animal, but it's kind of similar to what I've done in the past. So go back and look at my other shows. Listen to all of them, everybody. Go listen to all of them. Maybe it'll spark some ideas about new new uh, problems that are happening out there. But that was a fun one. It was different. I had to think about it for a minute and say, oh, is this a big deal or not? I had to go through it in my head. That's fun. Um, another one that I saw out there that was interesting that came through an email that was from ASAM. ASAM sends out their newsletter. If you're not a member of, of or on their mailing list, I don't know if you can do it unless you sign up for one of their seminars. I did the waiver training, and that's how I got signed up for it. But it's really pretty worthwhile. I see a lot of neat stuff that's cutting edge that comes through there. And one of the things that I thought was a fantastic idea, fantastic idea, and maybe this is why they're dragging their feet so much on spending money with opiate abuse um, programs, they're working on, and by they, I have no idea which pharmaceutical company it is, if it's even a company, it might even be the government, I don't know who it is. I didn't, I didn't read that deep into it. But they're working on an immunization for opiates. And I read through the, the article, I read the entire article, it was very short, it was just a snippet, so it was probably like a page, it wasn't very much. And what they were talking about was this immunization basically builds antibodies that attacks the opiate once it gets in your body. So it's kind of like a haptin, kind of like uh, haptins would be like uh, contact dermatitis with poison ivy, right, is a haptin. So it, it mates with something native in your body and creates the allergen. Um, so the allergen itself isn't the poison ivy, it's, it's the, the, the um, haptin plus the part of your body that makes the allergy. Well, this is kind of similar to that, but what it did do in rats and rhesus monkeys was it it um, decreased, let's see if I can say it the right way without looking it up, it decreased the potency of opiates by greater than 15 times. So basically, it chews it up. So the idea is that, that you could you could give this immunization and then you could shoot heroin and it just doesn't do anything because your antibodies basically break it down before it can kill you. Now, I don't know if that works with fentanyl or carfentanil because that's a hundred times and thousand times stronger than morphine. So I don't know if those, you know, those things that are that, that potent, if it would chew it up fast enough. But it's certainly promising. I could see if somebody's, you know, doing pills and stuff and we're ODing on pills, that might be a very viable option is to get your kid immunized against um, opiate for future, just in case. Now, I see some double-edged sword here, right? Um, and, and not like immunization like HPV when, you, when, when parents say, well, then that's a, that's a license to be promiscuous. And so they can get HPV. I'm just basically it's an admitting that I should let them have sex. And I don't think that's the right mindset. I always tell people that's that's not the right philosophy. You want to protect your child. And so I see that side of it from the opiate. But the bigger thing for me is what if I have a surgery or my child needs a surgery and I do they do need pain medicine for it. And now you give them a narcotic for their excruciating pain or a terminal cancer or something like that and now now nothing touches it so now they're living in excruciating pain and when you do want to be able to use those opiates 
then um, then then you know they're not going to be effective. So I, I see it as a double-edged sword that you know it's if if you give the immunization, you're you're kind of shutting yourself out of the ability to use those things in the future. That was kind of scary to me. That's my first thought. Now whether it really works that way or not, I don't know. I don't, God only knows. But I guess if my child or my spouse or a friend or a loved one was was doing heroin. I guess I don't care about their analgesia. <laughs> they can they can suffer in pain as long as they can they can you know wake up on the right side of the, the earth. <laughs> Just give them the give them the immunization and let them deal with pain later. You think I'd be profane and Tylenol for the rest of your life, anyways? But that that was the only the only hiccup that I saw was man. Wait, what if what if I really need opiates? I'm not saying I, I totally hate opiates. I just think that in primary care and in most chronic situations, they don't do anything. They're short term. Most people that I know that have been abusing opiates for a long period of time that said it was for pain, as soon as they're off of it, they say their pain's not that bad. A year or two later, they're not complaining of the back pain that they said that they were having, because it wasn't really the pain that they were they were they were. Uh, trying to treat. They were treating the addiction, not the pain. That doesn't mean that they still don't have pain, though. I, I get that. And and while they're actively... Um, man, this guy's going really slow. He's going like 25 on a back road. Come on, dude. Go 70. <laughs> I'm never going to get home. Anyways. Um... But that was a neat that was a neat article. It was really, really promising. I think it's a great idea. It sounds to me kind of like... Uh, you know, like it's not. I mean, it's not the same as Vivitrol, but it's like a long-acting, lifelong Vivitrol, in effect. Now, it'd be interesting to see if somebody could still OD with the immunization, with having immunity to the opiates. It's really cool, good idea. I never thought about it. I was like, "Ooh, that's a cool headline." Now they're using good headlines, right? I know AAMP didn't do good headlines one time, so I was busting their chops. But. This was through ASAM, and uh, they do some pretty cool stuff. They had another one in there that was it was uh, guidance with buprenorphine with teens and young and adolescents and adult, uh, young adults, and and that one was pretty good too. So I, I do skim through some of these that that just might affect me in my daily life, but that one the immunity thing was this is really cool. I, I probably won't see that anytime soon, but you never know. They may they may fast track that FDA and get that out there and do that. That would be a lot cheaper. And a lot more effective, possibly, than you know, two years of Suboxone treatment with intensive counseling and other things. That doesn't mean that you still wouldn't need counseling, though, because you you know skip the opiates and then you go do benzos, or start abusing gabapentin, or you start you know. So I mean, you have to you have to replace the behavior with a positive behavior. And and I think that's where the downfall is going to be is the the. But at least they wouldn't die. That's the the big picture, though. People wouldn't die. You'd have the time to be able to get them to therapy and and not have them three days later go out and, and OD. Because it only takes three days to remodel all the mu receptors on your cells in your body, so you can downregulate in three days. So people think, oh, I, I was just using a gram gram and a half a day of of heroin. They go out back to a gram a day and they die, in like three days after stopping. And so that's that's. Um, that, that could be potentially beneficial, right? Stop that from happening. Anyway, it was neat. Um, another one, and then we're going to cut it short because I'm just kind of doing a hodgepodge today, but it's, I'm not going to go too long. Um, 
Paul out in uh, Washington, I believe. It's Washington, right, Paul? I always get it wrong. It's Washington, Oregon. It's Washington, I think. I'm not going to look because I'm driving. I can't I can't look while I'm driving. He says I can use his name. He um, he had a couple quick things. He, he felt bad about <laughs> the negative um, opioid, cri- opioid crisis in Ohio uh, article, so he said he wanted to send a note of positive, and I've asked a couple people. I got a couple of them, but none of them were great. It was just, you know, keep, keep them coming. Tell me good positive stories. Stuff that I could repeat on, the, on, on the, the, the show would be helpful, and just so I could share it with other people. And his was, um, he's in clinicals, and he just, he had a, a good call, and I'm not going to use the situation, Paul, but you did a great job. I, you, I'm proud of you, brother. First clinical, it's, it's scary. Uh, imposter uh, phenomena is there and um and it can be intimidating and he he did he was telling me about a situation that he he caught something and it was good and he did a good job i'm proud of you that's what that's what clinical is for absorb that information now do it wrong too because you're going to get you learn a lot by doing it wrong too so don't be afraid to get it wrong um but but be proud of the fact that you get it right too he had a couple other comments just real quick and he was said what's fungible goods fungible goods and it, I was using it in the context of starting your own practice. Fungible goods are anything with an expiration date that you have to throw out. So think produce department at the store, at the grocery store. All of that stuff's fungible. It just deteriorates and goes bad. So when you look at your goods that you're buying for your practice that do have expiration dates, uh, Bacitracin has a little date stamped on it. And by law, you have to get rid of it before the date. Now, does it go bad? Not really, but... It's a way that the, the manufacturers can guarantee through the FDA, thanks FDA, that um, that everything is just as potent and as, as effective as it once was. Now, you look at bandages and, and Curlex and um, all that kind of stuff, they all have dates on them. And you have to play by the rules when you have your own practice. So all that stuff, you can't stockpile pounds and pounds and pounds and piles of boxes of stuff because you're going to end up throwing it all out or giving it away to people right before the expiration date. So you have to be careful that you know any of that cost, that overhead cost, you you um, you accommodate for that by you know having to manage that a little bit more. And and so there's your time of you know man, this person has I'm not kidding, they're going 20 miles an hour and there's one two three four. It's a Ford Focus, probably like late 90s. It's going up a hill. The muffler's bad. It sounds like a. <laughs> it's gonna fall apart. And there's like six dogs, giant dogs in this car. It's fantastic. I maybe I'll take a picture of it and blur out their license plate. No, I can't do that. I should post that for the for the show image. <laughs> I don't think that's a good idea. Probably not a good idea. I can't be mean like that. But we're going 20 miles an hour hill. Come on, don't hit your brakes. There's no need for brakes. All right. So fungible goods. This is stuff that goes away. That's all. Um, he had a couple other things in there that, that he wanted to talk about, too. And, and he always gives me good ideas and good show topics. So I'm going to hold off on some of those, too. But the one big one that I wanted to kind of go through, um, and I haven't really researched it much. I just, I'm hearing the talking heads on, on um, the AM radio stations. And my TV died like two weeks ago. So I can't even watch the news channels anymore. So I'm not even watching TV this summer until I can fix it. Um, and yes, I'm actually buying the parts and fixing it. I'm not the guy that goes buys a new TV. I'm the guy that tears it apart, figures it out, and fixes it. But um, the Senate's bill for the health care reform, and whether it's it's um, 
whether it's any worse or better than the Republican House bill that was proposed, the HCA, and now there's an SB something. I can I don't even know the name of the new one, and I haven't done any research on it to see what the effectiveness is. But what I do know about it is that they were trying to keep it behind closed doors until the last minute, which is never a good thing, right? That was one part. I automatically I'm like, Ugh, I don't like the idea of that. And then the other thing, I did hear a number that was like um, 20 million Americans over 10 years will lose Medicaid under the Senate um, proposed bill. And that came from a CBO, as, as reported on the radio this morning. That um, and that was the, the the shock headline of the day. Now, again, I honestly believe that any state or federal program, not not so much state, but federal program, and this is federal funding to the states. Any federal program ain't gonna go away. It just isn't. Now, whether it goes down some, they'll reallocate the money to another source, and then they'll get their money. But they'll, they'll, they'll take advantage of this in one way or another, and they're going to use it to take more control. That's all this is. And, and it's just sad to me that our federal government still, over the last eight years, hasn't been, especially Republicans, right? They've had eight, seven and a half years of, of, of seven years, it was 2010, right, of Obamacare to come up with a better plan of how they were going to repeal and replace. There's no repeal. They're not repealing anything except in name only. They're not repealing. They're not repealing. They're not repealing. They're not repealing. Neither side will repeal. They don't want to really repeal. They'll call it repeal, but all they're going to do is they're going to take away the ACA name and they'll put some other stupid name on it. And they're going to keep essentially probably 90% of the damn law. And And I'm not a fan. I'm not a fan of the ACA because it took up over too much control. It didn't fix anything. It made more more costs, more entitlements, and more costs. And I think ultimately for our country, that is a bad plan. For my kids and their kids, my grandkids' lives and their betterment, we need to suck it up and deal with this. And, and no one's doing it. And, and I'm prepared to take the hit. I know we're all going to have to pay the price. It's all going to hurt. It's going to hurt us all. It's going to crash our economy. It's going to be horrible when, whenever this all comes to head. But we, the sooner we do it, the better off we will all be, I promise you. But we're never going to get through it because the politicians are making too much money, and so are the big giant companies and the pharmaceutical companies and the food companies and the, the giant industrial complex and the military industrial complex. They're making a ton of money, and you know we've got ISIS and all these people we need to fight which are all made-up things that they're just making up to keep the machine running, to make more money and backdoor deals. And here we are just trying to, you know, get the soccer games and baseball games and take care of our kids. And we're, we're too busy to realize what the hell they're doing with our money. Anyways, that's my political viewpoint of the day. It's a cynical Tuesday. Yeah. Anyways, the, um, the last thing that... Um, I think that was it. I don't want to touch on anything more today. I'm driving. I'm still stuck behind the dog car. <laughs> I, I need to take a picture of this. I'm going to take a picture. I'm posting it. I don't care. I'll try to put my finger over the license plate, though. So I'm going to sign off. You guys send me comments, questions, issues, problems. i got to hurry up before the dogs don't, don't stick their head out the door. And I want you guys to uh, PM me. Those of you on iTunes, I want you to uh, go ahead and give me a shout-out. Give, give me a PM. And say, hey, I'm listening. I got a couple more people doing that. I'm stagnant at 925 on the likes, guys. We're so close. We're almost there, but we only have a couple days. 
I don't think we're going to make it. They're not going to make it. But maybe the first couple weeks of July. We're so close. Anyways, keep telling your friends about the show. Share the show as much as possible. And don't forget to give me a rating on Facebook or on the iTunes um, app or iTunes store, however you want to say it. So I've got good ratings on both of them, and I appreciate it. But if you think I suck at what I'm doing, tell me. Tell me why. I want to hear why, though. you gotta, you got to at least give me that much respect because I'm doing this for nothing. I'm not charging anybody for this. So if you're listening and you're like, eh, he could be better, tell me what it is. Maybe I can fix it. Maybe I can't. I don't know. But I might try. The swear thing, eh, I might not. That's, that's kind of where it is. So thanks for listening, guys, and we'll talk soon.